0: odyssey celebrates mother's day brought to you by t-mobile you can count on t-mobile to help you stay connected on america's largest 5g network
1: i apologize for that that was supposed to be something else let's see if we can get that playing um there we go little technical mishap i apologize it's one of those mornings folks anyway as you can tell from the music i'm super producer jake Hughes, and welcome To this morning, to the morning briefing for uh, the what day is today? That's right, it's (laughs) it's Tuesday, December nineteenth, twenty seventeen. I'm as I said, JQ's Eric Dame, your awesome host, got caught in some traffic. He's doing that thing, you know how when GPS's when your road is blocked. They'll send you on the uh, sending alternate route, and it's like takes you around Egypt and then bounces you off Fiji, then takes you back to your destination. That's what he's dealing with right now. So he'll be in in a little bit, but for right now, you're stuck with me. I am so, so sorry. But hey, you know what I'm not sorry for? I'm not sorry for ConnectingVets.com, our website where you can find all the veteran news, info, and voices that you need to hear, things that you need to know. So check it out, ConnectingVets.com, or follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. All the big four, you can find us there. And uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, let's stop the music. Let's get back to the website, ConnectingVets.com. Wait a minute. It's Tuesday. I'm sorry. I am all discombobulated this morning. You're going to have to forgive me. I wasn't planning on running the show, but uh, Eric's GPS decided to he- it hated him, so I'm running things for right now. <laughs> anyway, it's Tuesday, which means that in a little bit, we're going to be talking with Justin Brown from Hill Vets, Find out what's going on on Capitol Hill that concerns the veteran community. And after that, we have a very special guest that you're going to want to stick around for, and you can trust me on that. Why can you trust me? Because we're connectingvets.com. You see how that works out? It's cyclical. You trust us because you can trust us. You see how that, it all works out? It's perfect. Anyway, let's look at the website. The VFW, let's see, the VA is making guarantees the VSOs can't keep. Ooh, let's check that out. Let's see. According to this, uh, this deals with decision-ready claims, which it's a brand new thing going on from the VA. And they sent out an email which says this. When you file your your DRC, you can get a decision on your claim by working with an accredited veteran service organization, or VSO. Your VSO will help you gather and submit all relevant and required evidence so that your claim is ready for the VA to make a decision when you submit it. And hey, look who just walked
2: in the studio. Who? Who was it? I have no idea. Who are you again? Some guy who just sat in traffic for two hours. (laughs) This is the most poorly designed city in the entire United States. There's not even a question about it. I've lived a lot of places, been a lot of places, Never seen anything like I just saw this morning. Poorly designed, coupled with people who don't know how to drive. Ah, was it more minivans? Oh, I'm, in the, I'm in the left lane. I'm just going to cut over two of them without signaling. Just jump over, not look if anyone's there. Cut people off. I was cut off more times in the last two hours. Thankfully, not moving quickly because everything was so slow. Um, it started off poorly. Normally, it brings me down one road. And as I was heading towards it, my GPS was showing me the normal way and getting here at a normal time. And then all of the sudden had me turning around and going the other way. So I click on, you know, the roots button that shows you the different ways you can go. Going that direction was going to take me uh, two and a half hours. Wow. So apparently there was an accident and I'm gonna guess it was caused by someone who didn't know what they were doing. I really, <sighs> I would be so much happier if you had to take a difficult test to get your driver's license. Really? I think there's too many people out on the roads. And I think there are a lot of stupid people in the world, and a lot of them have cars, and that's who causes most of the problems out on the roads. I don't know whether I should be offended by that or not. Oh, I don't know either. I just know that I see them every day. <laughs> and whether you're one of them or not, I don't know. I've never been behind you on the road. Yeah. There are people who I do are... Dr- I do drive a pickup truck. That's that's a bad sign. Right yeah. There. Pickup trucks and minivans are, are very bad signs. Um it's there. There are plenty of people out there who aren't even, and I don't mean stupid necessarily like a dumb person. I mean, they get into a car and they just lose all semblance of being able to, I don't know, think properly. Like you're moving at whatever speed. If you're going over 15 miles an hour, you can cause serious injury or death even under that. If you hit a pedestrian, but people don't, it's it's clear that they don't think about it. And this city can I tell you, Washington, D.C., who builds a city in the shape of whatever shape this is? I came, I don't even know what direction I ended up coming from. And then I ended up going over a bridge because I thought I was in a different way that I was. It was, oh, my God, it was infuriating. Infuriating. Well, you're here now, and that's what really matters. You're, yeah, you're safe. I need to get over there, though, Okay, I need yeah. to fill up some audio. So, you know what? See if... Go in, see if you can find, like, a a spot or something that we can play on there.
1: Yeah, here, just just, uh, listen to this for, like, 22 seconds.
2: Helping military
1: veterans stay connected.
2: We make it easy.
1: We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. (sighs)
2: Oh. Now I'm here. and You it feel feels, more comfortable now that you're in your seat? No, not even that. It's just, uh, oh, now I'm trying to put in a password and it's not going in properly because I need to get some audio because I got to do something very cool last night. That's the other thing. When you're sitting in traffic and you, uh, you go on at 7.0430, that's when the microphones go live in here, and you know you've got a piece of audio, then it's going to take you about a minute to two minutes to edit and get ready. And you're just sitting there like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to get there in time to do it. This is infuriating. And that's uh, essentially what happened this morning. But what I was going to say is, uh, first off, thank you for tuning into the morning briefing. And thank you to Jake for hopping into <laughs> the, uh, the chair over here for a few minutes. Um, we have, and I'm clicking on the wrong thing. This is just basically. Eric uh,
1: sat down and talked to a very special individual. I last, did yesterday, uh,
2: but also just to let people know about what's coming up on the show. Typically on Tuesdays we have our friend Justin Brown of HillVets. Justin Brown of HillVets has the flu, so we're going to be, be playing oh. one of our recent uh, interviews with, I believe, uh, the American Legion. We're going to play one of those that's on there coming up in the seven thirty block, and then at eight we're going to have uh, the head of the Tricare program for, I believe, it's oh. the. Department. Wow. Health live in studio to talk to us about uh, TRICARE. There's a lot of changes coming to TRICARE in just, well, 12 days now, basically. January 1st, there are significant changes coming to the TRICARE program. They're going to affect people on TRICARE Prime and really every TRICARE program except TRICARE for Life. But we're going to get some of the details on that uh, when we talk to him coming up in just a few minutes. But as Jake mentioned last night, I had the pleasure last night of being invited to University of Maryland University College, who are one of the fine sponsors of dot com. and uh, really a, a school that's kind of synonymous with the military. Because, I mean, Jake, you've been stationed overseas. UMUC, even if you didn't know what it was, you saw it. There were signs for it in the education centers. Yeah, everywhere that I went. UMUC was always, always overseas and on military installations, and that's kind of one of their main focuses. So I went over to uh, their, I guess it's their main campus headquarters type building uh, up in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And I went there because Medal of Honor recipient, Florent, Flo Groberg was there speaking, uh, talking about his new book, Eight Seconds of Courage, did a Q&A with the audience. Really a fascinating thing. You know, hearing this, uh, this guy's story and really this young man's story. I mean, he's younger than I am by a significant margin. Uh, he was a young officer when uh, in Afghanistan he was on patrol, essentially. They saw someone uh, kind of walking towards them backwards, which was a little bit of a red flag, but not a huge one. There were a lot of people in the area. They thought it was odd kept an eye on him, and then the guy turns around and he's got a suicide vest strapped to him. Uh, Flo Groberg had eight seconds of courage. That's the eight seconds from when that guy turned around to when he charged over and tackled him to try and save his men, um, and he miraculously survived the blow. Uh, he told a pretty funny story during the speech last night of a Marine EOD tech explaining to him why he didn't die, and it's essentially <laughs> that the uh, the suicide bomber's body took the brunt of the explosion and the, uh, the Marine was talking about, you know, water bags, which they'll use on some explosives to make sure that the explosive goes in, in one direction and not the other. Cause the, the water will kind of, um, absorb the, the shock. Well, what's 90% of the human body water. So same thing. And, and the way he told it was of course much better than how I told it. Cause it's something that happened to him. But after he spoke about his book and did the Q and was able to, uh, pull Medal of Honor recipient Flo Groberg aside and ask him a little bit more about his new book, Eight Seconds of Courage. Eight Seconds of Courage, the new book that you've written. Um, Tell me a little bit about why you felt the need to tell your story now and why you decided to do it through this book.
0: You know, I wanted to highlight the men and women that I served with, most important, and then uh, lost in August 8, 2012. And this was also a very therapeutic um, journey for me, to really put my feelings down on paper and express my appreciation and and the honor I had to serve with our nation's finest. And so this was one of those projects that's life-changing that allowed me to really um, tell the world and and, and really tell myself how I truly felt.
2: You spoke during the Q&A about the platform that the Medal of Honor gives you. We've had the pleasure of speaking to uh, a couple other Medal of Honor recipients who also talked about... Uh, that it's a balancing act because there are pressures that come with being a Medal of Honor recipient. How do you view overall being a Medal of Honor recipient? Do you view it as more of a bonus for having that platform, more of uh, adding stress to your life or adding pressure?
0: How do you look at it? It's an honor and responsibility. I mean, you know, you can always say no. Believe <laughs> it or not, Medal of Honor recipients can say no. Um, we just feel pressure sometimes to go attend events and represent. But, you know, There's guys like Ryan Pitts and Kyle White who are doing the right things. They're out there, you know, supporting the organization they want to support. And they're also working full-time jobs like I'm working a full-time job. And they know how to say no to certain events, not because they don't want to be disrespectful. It's because they want to live their lives to the best of their abilities, the way they see it, and raising a family. Um, I think to me that the Medal of Honor is the greatest honor you can ever receive. So there's going to be some responsibilities behind it. It's about each of us make the right decisions at a specific time on what we want to go out there and do and support and how we want to be represented and how do we represent represent the Medal.
2: And of course you've used that platform to try and help your fellow veterans, which that's what we're doing as well and there are a lot of people out there trying to help do you feel that if we all focus on the things like you mentioned the suicide issue the ptsd issue do you think that we can make the changes necessary to get our brothers and sisters in arms
0: fixed i think that if we start having those conversations if we start working together if we realize the word collaboration um and we start you know thinking about ways we can really put our minds together in one one setting and and really you know have a, a, a sincere conversation and listen well, we forget to listen, and we're going to make a big difference. Uh, the biggest thing that you can do in regards to supporting a service member or a veteran who is struggling is my like, first thing to do is listen and you know, allowing them to ex- express their feelings and have patience because they're not going to just show up and just tell you everything that's on their mind or in their heart. You know, you're going to have to earn that trust. You're going to have to earn that um, that conversation, and so you have to be patient and then you have to listen. You have to understand that you know they don't want a complete solution right immediately. They want to know someone cares about them and that they're not crazy for thinking the way they do. And it's normal. It's a human feeling. And so if we can start doing that piece, each and every one of us, then we're going to be in the right direction to save people's lives. And then the other piece is the workforce transition I talked about, which, you know, the military is doing a heck of a job right now fixing it. VA is doing a heck of a job, department of labor. But we have a responsibility in corporate America as well to continue making an impact hiring our veterans and giving them opportunities to succeed and grow in these companies. Because if you can pay your bills, and pay your medical bills, right, put food on the table, that's going to go a long ways, When especially if you're still struggling in the inside. Now, you, you combine that, you can't pay your bills, you can't take care of family, and then you have a, you know, a TBI or PTS, that is a, a mix for disaster, potentially.
2: Flo Groberg, Medal of Honor recipient, United States Army, Captain, medically retired after uh, the injuries he received while tackling a suicide bomber in Afghanistan. Um, fascinating guy, and you know, not the first Medal of Honor recipient we've had the pleasure of talking to, Jake. Which is kind of crazy. In fact, he mentioned Ryan Pitts, the first one that we talked to on the show, and and uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to meet these guys. Typically, very humble because. I think in many cases, particularly in in Flo's case, as he was speaking about last night, they don't see themselves as particularly special. They see themselves as someone who made a certain kind of decision during uh, one of the worst days of his life that led to him being recognized with our nation's highest military honor. And it's interesting, the title of the book, Eight Seconds of Courage, and, and as he said last night, that's really all that it was. It was, I saw this, I reacted, you know, are you even thinking about it or is it just a reaction? But that's the difference between a Medal of Honor recipient and and a not Medal of Honor recipient. You know, people that when the, uh, the stuff hits the fan, as they say, charge towards trying to fix it, trying to save their their brothers in arms as, as Flo did. Uh, it's fascinating to see that there are those who would, Run away in that situation. There are those who would take cover and try to find a defensive position, and then there are those who would take action, like Flo did. Um, and as he said last night, when he was speaking at UMUC to a you know pretty packed house there, and uh, everybody there to get their books signed and all that stuff, he said, "You don't receive the Medal of Honor for a good day at work. You receive the Medal of Honor for doing something during what." will likely be the worst day of your life. Yeah, the
1: Medal of Honor is kind of like the Purple Heart in that no one really wants to earn it.
2: Not it all, just kind of happens. Yeah. Well, and not only that, the majority, the vast majority of Medal of Honor recipients, it's posthumous. They get it because they're dead. Their actions cost them their lives while saving others. I mean, that's typically what the Medal of Honor is about. Then you have these uh, fairly rare cases, I think about 11 from the, uh, the recent years, who have been awarded the Medal of Honor uh, and survived, basically, and made it through. Um, it's 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 just something that you, you don't know about yourself until you're in that situation, how you'll react. And the fact that the Medal of Honor is so rare and given to so few people gives you a hint. You're probably not going to react in the same way that Flo Groberg does, in the same way that a Dakota Meyer did, in the same way that a Ryan Pitts did. Those are people who, for whatever reason, made a decision and reacted in a way that that almost no one else would put. Basically, I mean, getting the Medal of Honor essentially means that you made a decision that said, I'm probably going to die, but that's okay because I'm going to save other people. Um, And again, in the majority of cases, the vast majority, historically, the recipients of the Medal of Honor have died. They have given their lives for their fellow soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen. Um, really just fascinating to speak to him and, and hear about the struggles that he had, also difficulty sleeping for years until he met his fiance, who he then embarrassed by making her Bring up the uh, the display medal of honor that he has, <laughs> so that he could show it. He's like, "Hey, can I see it?" She was like, "Oh God, if I need to." And she walked up. You could tell she just she didn't want to be doing that. But uh, I would do the same thing to my wife if she were sitting there, just like, "Hey, this." Is my if I had a wife, I'd do the same Th- thing. There you go. Um, what I learned last night is that actually he, as well as uh, one of his. Fellow unit members, a person who served in the same unit as he did that also received the Medal of Honor, they have donated their actual Medals of Honor to their unit. So to be on display at the headquarters of their unit, because as he said last night, that's how I look at it, that this is, you know, this is a unit award. was no better place to put it. Then uh, at my uh, where I served and apparently when you get the uh, the Medal of Honor there's the one original that you get and then there's the one that he had last night which he had a uh, Colonel Keith Hauk retired Colonel Army Ranger who was the MC of the event he had him read the back of it and it said for display purposes so <laughs> it's like uh, it's 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 the fake essentially the fake Medal of Honor but of course it's a Medal of Honor winner who has it. He said he couldn't often tell the difference on which one he was wearing when he did wear it, like whether it was the real one or the display one. Um, but seeing that there and seeing that he made that decision, uh, Salvatore Giunta, another uh, Medal of Honor recipient, did the same thing. I believe he was the first one uh, to give it back to his unit, to, or not to give it back, but to present his medal to his unit. Um, just, again, shows you the kind of people that tend to receive that decoration and, and how they're how they kind of work and how they think about things where it's unit over self special breed of human being. Yeah, it is. And he's, uh, he also, as he talked about, went to university of Maryland, ran track at university of Maryland. He was a track athlete at university of Maryland. So, you know, someone asked him last night, you know, how did that uh, help you during your military career? How did it affect you? One thing that I could think of, he got over to that suicide bomber really quick. He tackled (laughs) him. He got there really quick. And then he also ended up finishing in, in the past, I believe in the past two years or so, finished his uh, master's at UMUC, so has continued. And I think that shows how important education can be to the veteran community. This is someone who, listen, he's got the Medal of Honor. He's got a pretty darn good job. I believe he works for the Boeing Corporation, uh, working on veterans initiatives and other things there. He really didn't need his master's. He went and got it because he wanted to get it and because he enjoyed uh, the educational aspect and going through UMUC, getting to see their veterans area. That's where it was held last night. There's this auditorium off of this veterans lounge that they have, and there's some classrooms there. Um, really a beautiful setup that they have there. And, and, We didn't have a veterans lounge at my alma mater, Hofstra University. We had, um, you know, there was an office that you could go to and talk to the lady if you wanted to. I think I went there once or twice during my entire time (laughs) at school. Um, UMUC has a whole building, essentially. It's like set up for veterans, beautifully set up. Uh, It it was a wonderful place, and I'm really glad that I got to be out there. So big thanks to uh, our sponsor partner, UMUC, for having us out there. For all that they've done for the military and veteran communities since 1947, uh, including Flo Groberg, who received his master's again just in recent, the last couple of years, 2015, maybe 16. I'm not sure. He definitely uh, finished up there and has spoken at a commencement ceremony there. Really fascinating stuff. After I did the quick couple-minute interview, I didn't want to keep him for too much longer because he had to go sign books, and the line was really long. Uh, I did mention to him, hey, I'd love to have you on the show, and he said that uh, he'd be into that. So hopefully, he'll be joining us for a longer conversation about his career, his life, and what he's doing now. He's working to help veterans. He's working to address uh, the suicide issue. We spoke about that last night as well, and uh, really... As we, as as he said during the interview that I just played, the Medal of Honor gives you a platform, and he's using that platform, I think, in one of the best ways possible. As many, really, all the Medal of Honor recipients are, um, where they're they're doing their thing um, and trying to help out their military and veteran community around them. So, really, uh, an honor to speak to Flo last night, and uh, it was great to see how many people showed up to to hear him talk and to uh, to get the book and have him sign the book and. Man, he was uh, – that line was moving a little slow because he was happy to talk to everybody. He was not – he wasn't one of those guys that uh, is going to be like, oh, you know, I got someplace to be. Let's hurry up. Let's knock this out. Personalized inscriptions in each of the books and really just uh, – really a great time and a great event last night. So that was fantastic. Okay, again, Justin Brown of Hill Vets will not be joining us this morning. He, unfortunately, told me last night, sent a message that the flu is happening and that it had gotten him so he would not be in this morning, which means we won't see Justin until after, well, until next year. That's that's true. It's always funny to say next year when it's only like 12 days a week yeah. <laughs> and people think about it. Somebody said that to me about three weeks ago, like, hey, well, how about we look at it in the, uh, next year? I was like, oh, my God. God, next year? What is this guy taught? And then I realized, oh, it's like December 1st. We're talking 30 <laughs> days from now. So we've got all that stuff. So in lieu of Justin Brown from Hill Vets, what we're going to play is an interview that we did a while back. And this was with Mika and Matt from the Veterans Employment and Training Service. Uh, and uh, well, uh, actually, I don't know. I don't know which one we're going to play because I'm having an audio issue right now to try and figure it out. But we're going to have something there for you to talk about, uh, you know, one of our previous <laughs> interviews and that. That brings me to next week. Now, Jake, he's decided that he wants to go home for the holidays.
1: Yeah, silly me, but being so selfish (laughs) and wanting to go home for the first time
2: in in over seven months. Going down to Houston? Yep, driving there with my dog. Oh, nice. How long of a a drive is it from here to Houston?
1: About two, two and a half days, depending
2: on traffic. That is a long drive. Yes. I have never, I don't think I've ever driven that far total in my life like i've never driven cross country i drove to florida that was about 20 hours or something like that driving straight from uh from connecticut down to florida but man two and a half days are you gonna stop and spend the night someplace well, yeah or?
1: well see that's the thing people wonder why i take so long because i wake up i'll wake up around like seven be on the road by 7 30 and then i stop when the sun goes down so it, i could probably get it done quicker but i just decide to be safe and take my time
2: yeah, and that's the best way to do it. I wish more people did that this morning and then we wouldn't have massive accidents. <laughs> you are so salty about that. Road. I do not like being late for anything. Um, I My wife can tell you I'm the one who's like, let's go, can we please get moving? Uh, when it's other people that are causing me to be late, I have even less patience for it. If it's myself, then I know who to blame and I can get angry at myself now These massive accidents, which uh, almost always, if everyone's driving and doing what they're supposed to on the roads, accidents don't happen. It's got to be some doofus who throws on no turn signal and jumps over into the other lane or doesn't isn't paying attention is texting on their phone and rear ends somebody. It's always somebody making a mistake that causes those things to happen. So, yeah, I am a little salty about it. Made me late for work. I had to come in, run in. I actually got here a couple minutes before I was on air, and I had to go grab that Flo Groberg audio, bring it from my email into the system that we use to play audio during the show, like that song that you hear, which tells us that we have you know, less than 20 seconds in the segment right now. All right, coming up. Not sure exactly what we're going to play for you at 7 30, but we are going to have one of our old good interviews coming up for you. Morning briefing back after this. Yeah. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Tuesday, December 19th, 2017 edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans for veterans and covering the entire veteran experience. Listen, if you're not checking out ConnectingVets.com 15, 20 times a day, I personally think you're messing up. The boss may not appreciate it, so why don't you do this? Go to social media and find us. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Follow us there. A little click of the mouse or tap on your phone. It's going to change your life for the better because we're out there every day giving you the latest and greatest items of note and interest and help for veterans. So if you're looking for holiday gifts, well, guess what? We've got a story on Doc Spartan up there. That's a good idea for it, as well as other Veteran owned companies that are offering various uh, services and various products that you might find interesting for the holiday season, as well as, how about this? New VA claims for surviving spouses and transitioning vets can be answered in 30 days under a new program where essentially you can go through a service officer at the VSOs, and after they get your stuff together, when you put in that claim, the VA is saying 30 days for you to get a response. So big information, big stories like that, all you got to do, follow us on social media at Connecting Vets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Some big changes are coming to TRICARE. Changes that are going to affect retirees, active duty families, gold star widows and children. This is important stuff and it's going to affect millions of people. But as I found over the last couple of weeks, there's some bad information going out about these programs, about what it's going to mean for everybody. You're hearing rumors getting started. You're hearing rumors grow. You're thankfully hearing some of them be put down when necessary. But we wanted to get the correct info out to you. And who better to provide it than the chief of the Military Health System's Tricare Health Program, Mr. Ken Canistrini. Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing today.
3: Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here with you.
2: Now, before we get on to Tricare, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background, because as we were talking before we went on air, you yourself are a veteran. So tell us just a little bit about your service, when you joined, what you did, and when you got out.
3: Okay. Uh, yes, I'm an Army uh, veteran, a uh, career soldier. I uh, joined the Army in 1974. I was six years as an enlisted soldier, got out, used the GI Bill, came back as an officer, and ended up retiring after 33 years in the on active duty as an Army colonel. I spent my time in uh, healthcare. I uh, commanded units in combat and also in garrison, and so I have a pretty good understanding of uh, health operations inside the direct care system that takes care of our uh, soldiers.
2: And that's an important thing, I think, when we talk about uh, TRICARE or the VA, some of the responses that we get from people when we put out stories on that are like, oh, these people don't understand what the military – well, you certainly understand what the military goes through. And you understand that transition period as someone who retired after 33 years. If we could, let's go back to when you retired at the end of those 33 years. What do you remember about transitioning from Colonel Canestrini to civilian Ken? You know, what was that transition period like for you? And what did you learn that you'd like to pass on to others?
3: Well, I think uh, basically for anybody who's on active duty, it's going to be retiring someday. Uh, it's always the, you hear it. Uh, you need to take advice and, and follow it as a uh, plan. Plan accordingly. Start your plan about 24 months out for the process to retire, because if you wait to the end, there's a lot of things that uh, opportunities of education, training, et cetera, as you uh, prepare for retirement uh, that you don't do if you wait to the last, if you work right up to the end. And the other thing is uh, uh, prepare yourself medically. You know, Make sure that you're getting all of your dental work and your vision work and uh, your, your assessments so that you're not at the end of the uh, active duty status trying to run through the pipeline to get that type of uh, care.
2: You know, as someone who worked in health services, I'm glad that you bring that up because a lot of the issues that we see people having with dealing with the VA could have been avoided if they did the right thing with their medical records. And oftentimes it's just not not being knowledgeable of what they need to do. The military is doing a better job of that. But one of the things, particularly for people who retire, Is Tricare? That's one of the important things that they need to know about. So, before we get into uh, the changes that are coming to Tricare, how did you come to be involved with Tricare for the military health system?
3: Well, uh, when I was uh, after commanding uh, our military treatment facility at Fort Belvoir, I went up to the Army Staff at OTSG. I was part of our staff, Army Staff Officer, as a Colonel, and I was actually assigned as uh, the Tricare uh, person for the Army. And then I spent a couple years doing that. And then uh, uh, a couple more years doing healthcare operations, and then there was an opportunity at the Defense Health Agency, and I went over there, and I actually started working in the Tricare um, regional offices as the chief operating officer. So I was involved with um, standing up the Tricare East region, and then after about a year and a half of that, uh, doing that, uh, Admiral Bono, who is the you know the director for the Defense Health Agency. I uh, gave me a call last February and said uh, I'd like for you to kind of step up a couple rungs here and help me with the Tricare program. And so, actually, I'm the acting director. I have been doing that for about uh, five months now. Uh, as we're going through this major transition, and so that's exactly how I ended up and uh, where I am today. And now, let's talk about Tricare. Big changes coming on
2: January 1st. Before we get into the details and into the weeds, so to speak, on Tricare. What are what, what are these changes supposed to do? What is the grand overlook of the changes coming to TRICARE? The why? Why is this happening, and how is it going to benefit TRICARE recipients and enrollees?
3: Well, one of the uh, major drivers for the changes that, to the program is to make the program easier for uh, the providers in the civ sector who use the program to manage it, coordinate it, and also for our beneficiaries to have a better understanding of what they're looking at in the program. Uh is complex, uh, TRICARE is complex. So we've taken steps that, as we talked today and this morning, will show you that we're kind of aligning our program more in line with how commercial plans are done so that in the civilian sector, a provider can look at it, they can understand our program just as well and easy, and we're not unique. And then uh, it'll be easier for our beneficiaries and also for the providers who uh, provide uh, TRICARE services to our beneficiaries. Is this
2: going to make more healthcare care providers available to people? I've heard that it's going to improve access. How exactly is it going to improve access to medical care providers?
3: Well, so what we're doing um, with the new, uh, basically the new contract. So on one January of 18, we're going to go from our current contracts, which we have uh, for, for in the United States, we have uh, three regions, you know, and so we're going to two regions effective one January when we do that, Humana will have the East Coast, the East region, and then um, uh, Health Net Federal Services will be our contractor in the West. And part of the new contract starting in January is that they must provide a network capability across the United States that will allow the TRICARE select population to have access to a network at about eighty-five percent rate, what that means is eighty-five percent of the Tricare standard select patients will have will be within thirty minutes of a network, mm. and so that's what we've basically. If you looked at what our network is today under the three contracts, uh, it's probably around sixty percent. Okay, and under the new contract, we'll go up to eighty-five percent. So, thus, if you have a network and where we've went out and got providers who say they'll take Tricare, they'll process claims and they'll see TRICARE patients. Uh, now the now what you've done is increase the number of providers who are doing that, and that should increase access for our beneficiaries.
2: We're speaking with Ken Canestrini. Ken is the acting director of uh, the TRICARE uh, Pro, Tricare Health Program at Military Health Systems. And we're talking about the changes coming to TRICARE on January 1st uh, that are going to affect millions of customers. One thing that you mentioned there was TRICARE Select. Of course, that's one of the big changes, uh, I would say perhaps the biggest, in that TRICARE Standard and TRICARE Extra are being kind of merged together to form a new program called TRICARE Select. Uh, what do you think of that change? And, and, you know, I think a lot of people are worried, well, I've had TRICARE Standard. Standard for so long, what is Tricare Select? I don't even know. Explain to them the difference between what they had and what they're going to have with Tricare Select. All
3: right. So Tricare Select, like you just did well in merging, talking about the merging of Tricare Standard and Extra into one plan. So when what the National Defense Authorization Act uh, for seventeen did by Congress is says we want you to come up with. Uh, two plans. One will be TRICARE Select and you'll have TRICARE Prime. That's what will be available to the 9.4 million beneficiaries that use TRICARE. The major difference is that no longer uh, will you just automatically have TRICARE Standard or Extra. You will have to take an active step to enroll into one of the programs. You'll either go into TRICARE Prime, which is kind of a health maintenance organization type program, HMO, or you go and stay with uh, TRICARE Select, which is uh, a PPO-type preferred provider organization. You have freedom of movement. You go to the providers you want. It's basically using TRICARE standard as you do today, except for the fact is that you will consciously say, that's where I want to get my care, and I'm going to enroll in that program. The reason uh, that's important is uh, now we'll know who's using the program. Instead of, you know, people not using it, they're using other insurance or whatever. Once we know people are using the program, they've enrolled, that will help us build our networks to where people are uh, actually living and enrolled and using the program.
2: One of the things that you mentioned there, of course, the enrollment, which has caused, I think, a little bit of confusion among the TRICARE recipient uh, and enrollee uh, community in that Who needs to enroll in TRICARE Select? So if someone is currently receiving, uh, let's say, their TRICARE standard, do they then need to enroll in TRICARE Select on January 1st uh, when this change takes place? Or do they need to do it at a later date? Is there an expiration each year? How does that work?
3: So what we're doing right now is we're doing this major conversion uh, to go to the new program and so the defense uh, data management system out in California which is most of the uh, military personnel refer to as DEERS uh, enrollment eligibility system is we're doing a hard conversion so basically anybody who's in prime we will convert them to uh, stay in prime right anybody who's in standard we will convert them to uh, select and so During this uh, month of December, we have a few uh, accessions, about 28,000, we think, that are coming into the system. And we are, are managing them individually as we're doing this conversion. So, for the bulk of the force, they will automatically be converted into one of these programs. And the beauty is of our program is 2018 will be our, what I call a grace period year. Right. During this year, this is where we'll do a lot of education, putting out information to the beneficiaries. And they will be able to kind of go back and forth in their plans. Uh, I like uh, Select. No, I'm not happy with Select, just like they've been doing in the past. Then we will come into the fall enrollment period. We will have, just like uh, the Federal Health Employee Benefit Plan, our open enrollment period will be the same dates. So when OPM puts out that information, we will be aligned to that. And as people are listening, what does that mean? Well, that means... Every year you have a window, about six weeks that we're open, for you to change your enrollment status, to take an active step. And then when you kick into the next year, if you don't do anything, you will be automatically carried over. Okay. Right? And then uh, you'll stay in the plan. And then when we go into 2019, now we're not uh, uh, flipped back and forth to different plans. You can only change your plan, just like in any commercial health plan, only when you had some type of qualifying life event. That allowed you to say, I need to make an adjustment. And in the military, because we recognize that people move a lot. So, for instance, if you move and change a zip code, that will allow you the opportunity to make a, uh, an enrollment change. Right. All right. If you, have, uh, you get married, there's a qualifying life event. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a new child, there's another qualifying life event. So we're set up pretty much like uh, civilian plans are. Right. And in addition to that, what I'd go ahead and say is that uh, we're changing. You know, in the military, we've always kind of been on physical years, but now we're going to go to a calendar year. Oh, okay. And so for this plan, it'll be from uh, 1 January through the 31st of December. So you'll have a a calendar year. You'll also have an enrollment season that will always be in the middle of November to the middle of uh, December or so. Uh, And that's kind of the new way ahead that uh, our beneficiaries will be seeing under the TRICARE program. And I think that's
2: a great thing that you're doing it by calendar year now, just because the fiscal year is, it's a little bit confusing to some people. They don't know, you know, when you talk about fiscal year in October, well, is it the end of October, the beginning of October? Is it, it it can just cause unnecessary confusion. So it's good to hear that 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 change is coming and that that will allow people to do it also that 2018 is a transition year and that you guys understand there are going to be some issues with this. I mean, we're dealing with, uh, you know, a variety of personnel. We're talking about active duty military. We're talking about veterans and retirees. uh, Some people who are have been seeing TRICARE one way for a very long period of time and are now going to see changes. It's good to see that that is being taken into consideration. And it's not just, hey, as of January 1st, you better figure this out or, you know, tough basically.
3: Right. And the other thing I would uh, put a plug in for is that uh, Admiral Bono and uh, at the Defense Health Agency, we host monthly uh, an MSO, VSO session, and then quarterly an executive session with her. And that's where we've actually gotten pretty good feedback from these groups about, hey, have you looked at this? Uh, We got a problem with this. We don't understand this. And then we've been able to take their feedback and turn around and do better education and marketing or even adjust the program.
2: One thing that hasn't been adjusted, as far as I can tell, is TRICARE for Life. And we have gotten some questions from people enrolled in that. What do these changes mean for me? As I understand and as I've read, and there is a lot of data to read through when you look at what's coming to TRICARE, uh, it's not going to affect that program, at least as of January. Are there changes coming to TRICARE for Life eventually, or are they kind of in the clear for now?
3: Right. So basically you're you're spot on. There is no change to the TRICARE for Life program. Uh, the the beauty is a reminder of the TRICARE for Life program was uh, it was enacted by Congress in 2001, and the reason it wasn't enacted because there was many of beneficiaries prior to 2001, after you turned 65, you were pretty much Medicare only, right? and you had, they are a military beneficiaries, then were paying 20% of the costs, and so it Congress enacted that, and so what uh, TRICARE for Life is, it's a, it's a wraparound program uh, that supplements uh, the Medicare program. Medicare pays 80%, TRICARE pays the other 20%. So the current changes to the program, there are nothing that will impact or affect uh, the over 65 population. The only other plug I'd like to push in for that group, though, is we always need to take our Medicare Part B, Mm-hmm when we get close to 65, because what happens is uh, when you are get about six months out, the TRICARE program and the Medicare program will send the beneficiary information. And every now and then we'll have a re- retiree who kind of looks at that and says, I don't need that because I'm expecting that I have, I'm covered by the TRICARE program. And the answer is no, you are not covered by TRICARE program unless you take Part B. Because mm-hmm. when a claim comes through, we cannot pay that. Pay it through the TRICARE program unless you have Medicare.
2: Oh, okay. We're speaking with Ken Canestrini. Ken is the acting director of the TRICARE Health Program for Military Health Systems. Ken, I think the biggest response that we've gotten from people after our recent stories on TRICARE are in regards to raising of co-pays. Essentially, I think when you're talking about retirees, military families, you're talking about people who tend to be operating on a limited budget, in many cases a very inflexible budget, uh, in, in the case of retirees particularly, who may not have any income coming in beyond maybe their military retirement, uh, where every dollar seems to count to them, so they hear about co-pays going up and they are not happy when that happens so first if you can tell us a little bit about uh, the copay changes who's going to see the changes what those changes will be and then a little bit of an explanation on what those copay changes are going to do for them if they're going to benefit them in some way
3: right so um yeah so the co-pays there's kind of two aspects of this is one is um bear in mind uh, for the tricare select program we are implementing co-pays prior to um, January of this year coming up under Tricare standard, you had cost shares. It was a percentage. So either it was 20 or 25% of the bill, depending upon whether or not you used a network provider. Right. So if you use a network provider, we're always giving you a discount. It helps the government. It helps you. Um, so patients would go in, and it would be twenty percent of the bill. You wouldn't know what it would be until the bill was processed and, and showed at home. Right. So under the new program, uh, Tricare Select, when you use in-network providers, that you know, I told you about that eighty-five percent. If you go to those type of providers, you will have a copay, and it's set up in a chart. And there's certain uh, you know dollar figures associated with that copay for primary care visit or a specialty care visit. If you go outside the network, then you will continue to go- use cost shares. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, What we're, what the, ben- the beneficiaries are probably uh, talking more about is the fact that under Prime, right, okay, we have changed those co-pays. They have went up a little bit.
2: I think from around $12 yeah. to $20, so about right.
3: an 80% increase, give right. or take. So the other part of that is, remember when we stood up the TRICARE program in 1995, we started off with a twelve dollars copay. Mm. This is the first adjustment to that copay since nineteen ninety five, when we started the program.
2: Wow, we're talking twenty two years. I mean, it, things have changed in twenty two years.
3: Exactly. And so, uh, yes, we have a little bump up here. Um, uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, the bump up was directed by Congress. They're the ones that established the figures there. Uh, but uh, we do have those copays there. Um, however, uh, you know, you do have the benefit of um, Go into urgent care under the Prime program, right? Um, without a referral, uh, with the, the military treatment facilities are also increasing urgent care activity, so that patients can be seen. And then they're working with the network. I'm just pr- providing another example of what the program has inside of it, as far as trying to improve the benefit for our population. Right. Um, the other thing that the the program is doing is working on is in which most programs are all working on is. How do we become more of a value based uh, insurer? Insurance, we say insurance, but we're you know a program that's an entitlement for our beneficiaries. Right, but we too are in the marketplace trying to buy healthcare, and just like the big programs out there, we're all trying to say we're using the term value based, which is you know we want better better return for our dollar. We want better quality outcomes. Right now, we do pretty good in establishing networks, paying claims quickly, uh, providing access. But we all want in healthcare to go to that next venue and say, "How can we get the best for our patients?" Which is very tough. So we have some value-based initiatives that we're working on, and we're going to like. For instance, we're coming up. Here's an example of a, it's called a maternity program where we're going to have some uh, facilities, uh, hospitals that are recognized for their high uh, quality, and so they can be considered gold stork or uh, silver stork hospitals. Uh, we'll let the providers know what, who, which ones they are, okay, and then the patients will know which ones they are on a directory. We'll try to get our patients to use those facilities, and then what we'll do, there's an example of we'll pay those facilities a little bit more hmm. for taking care of TRICARE beneficiaries because of the, the good outcomes we get at these kind of places.
2: We're speaking with Ken Canestrini. Ken is the Acting Director of the TRICARE Health Program at Military Health Systems. Ken, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, How do you think right now, after these, well, not right now, how do you think after the changes on January 1st, TRICARE stacks up against the civilian insurance industry? If someone retires, gets a job where they offer benefits, you know, should they be looking to take advantage of that? Should they stick with TRICARE? What do you think is the best course of action, or does it vary?
3: Well, first off, I think uh, if you look across the board at what the TRICARE program has to offer, we have one of the most comprehensive healthcare plans in the nation. We cover a lot of things. Mm. Um, the other thing is when you look at the costs, uh, yes, we have an, uh, an enrollment fee uh, for retirees. It's uh, below $600 for a family on an annual basis. Right. Uh, we have the, the co-pays uh, that range, you know, from in the $20 figure range to 35 for a specialty visit. Um, but we also have a catastrophic cap uh, that right now currently is $3,000 for a family, for retirees. It's only 1000 for active duty. And so what that means is, and it's one of the lowest catastrophic caps in the nation. Most health plans have a catastrophic cap that's around seven to $11,000. Right. And so that means basically you have to spend that much money out of pocket before your insurance company takes on the rest. takes right. on the rest. So in the yeah. military system, uh, for retirees, it's $3,000. Once you've paid $3,000... The TRICARE program picks up the whole bill.
2: And that's dealing with, uh, you know, as you say, catastrophes. So something like a heart attack or, or serious issues where we all know how bad hospital bills can get. TRICARE, you only have to pay up to $3,000 before TRICARE takes care of the rest. And that's it,
3: huge. Exactly. Throughout the year, that's your cap. And then once that kicks in, the program picks picks up the rest of the bills. So so one is, I think, if you looked across and said, how much do I, am I really paying for the program? And what is my coverage? I think you'll find out that the TRICARE program is one of the best programs in the nation.
2: We've been speaking with Ken Canestrini, and he is the acting director of the TRICARE Health Program for Military Health Systems. Ken, if people want to find out more about these changes, if they want to see it in writing, where do they go to do that? Where do they go to check out and get into the nitty-gritty on how it's going to affect them, whether they're uh, TRICARE Select or Prime or anything?
3: Well, what we have is uh, we're calling it Take Command of Your Health. If you go to the Tricare.mil site, uh, we have uh, lots of information about the the program. And it's uh, basically, it'll tell you what's coming, uh, what are the new copays, deductibles, etc. It'll tell you about the new contractors coming on board. Um, So again, if you go to the Tricare.mil site, uh, you'll find there's plenty of information there available.
2: We want to thank Ken so much for coming in and talking to us about Tricare and setting the record straight on what exactly these changes mean and how there are some benefits associated with them. It's not just your co-pays going up. There's some changes that are going to work out for the better if you're a Tricare recipient. And it uh, makes me feel a little better to hear that from him. Oh, let's see. We send out our, uh, our hope that Justin Brown is feeling better as we get towards the holiday as he deals with the flu. And I hope you are able to join us tomorrow morning on the Morning Briefing Wednesday edition. I'm Eric Dame. He's JQ. See you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours